Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we're going to be for the bulk of the morning and kind of leave your finger there. And then you're going to be over in Philippians 3 in, in just a moment as well. April showers bring what? Rain? I, all I heard was James shouting rain in the front. April flowers, I mean, April showers bring what? May flowers, that's right. They don't do it all by themselves. They need fertilizer, right? Uh, there's other parts of the process. Uh, Louise Plow gave this great quote that kind of sparked my idea for the title this morning, and it's this. The church is like manure. Pile it together and it stinks up the neighborhood. Spread it out and it enriches the world. Not a great picture of the church? It's true. There's a lot of truth to it. Now, to illustrate this on your handout, it, we've actually made it a scratch and sniff. So just give it a little scratch. And No, I'm kidding. That would be good, though. If we had that technology, we would have done it. I promise you. It reminds us, as a church, to spread out. Uh, spread out is the way to maximize effort. Uh, how many of you played soccer growing up as a kid? Anyone on sports teams and stuff? When you're a kid learning to play soccer, what happens is this. The ball's over there, so everyone goes over the ball, right? Then the ball gets kicked over there. What happens? The whole team, both teams, run over to follow that ball. And what happens is you be, you're just like a swarm around the ball. We actually had a team name growing up called The Swarm. And that was our team name. And it wasn't what we should be as soccer players, but it just described what we were. We were the swarm because we just buzzed around that ball and followed it around. What were the coaches constantly shouting to little kids' teams, if you've ever been a coach or been on a team? Spread out, right? It's so hard to teach kids to run away from the ball, right? Play your position, spread out. The church fulfills her mission in exactly the same way. Think about a soccer team. You huddle up for encouragement. You huddle up for last instructions. You huddle up for a team cheer. And then what do you do? You get out there and you play your position. You go spread out all over the field. You're united in the goal of scoring for your team. Fishers of men is how Jesus described disciples. Think about the start of a fishing derby. I've never been a part of one, but I can envision it. Go. What do the fishermen do? They go to where the fish are. They spread out. Why? Because that's the most effective way. How about a search and rescue team? Jesus said, I came to seek those who are lost and save them. What does a search and rescue team do? They spread out for effectiveness. They don't huddle all together. Church, we are called to go, to spread out. We're in this series where we're just saying, God, can we, can we gain the mind of you and the heart of you of what it looks like to be the church? We get that as churches go on over time, we accumulate man-made ideas. I don't know why men take the bad rap. It's women-made ideas too. Man and women-made ideas that aren't that helpful, right? They kind of clog us down. They're like anchors after a while. And we're saying, God, cut us free from junk that we don't need to be a part of. Give us freedom where we have tons of freedom to do church in certain ways. Help us not to think in these tiny little boxes that we've just kind of grown accustomed to. Help us get your mind on what it means to be the church. Biblical churches share. Biblical churches have members, have people who are characterized as servants. We are told as a church to go out and do good. We're told to spur one another on to even more love and even more good deeds. That's, that's what we do when we come together. We're called to spread out. If you huddle together in comfort and, and safety, it stinks to high heaven. That's not what the church is to be about. I want you to look at this title pick 
for another reason too. There's this vital truth that as I got preparing this message, I thought, you know, I better spend some time on this vital truth that undergirds everything we're about to talk to. And I want you to really pause and get this like prerequisite point before we move on to the main point of the Sunday. And the reason is, is because your very life depends on it. Here it is. On their own, all, all of our good deeds, all of our achievement, all of our sharing, all of our discipline, faithful service over the years is like a pile of manure. All by themselves, that's all they are. Gaining and knowing Christ is all that matters. He is our reward. He is what's valuable in this. Not the good deeds themselves, not the sharing itself, but Christ in the sharing. Christ in the good deeds. I think this is really challenging because all week long, most of all that we see is performance and payment. Performance and payment is how you get ahead in almost any sector of life. Get noticed for your performance and you get rewarded in some way. And what happens is we bring that into our relationship with God. Even though we know better, we still contend to bring that into our relationship with God. Paul, the apostle, the guy that wrote much of the New Testament, he was very caught up in earning his own righteousness. He was trying to earn his way to God by being good. He was in a performance trap. You know what his instruction is? Philippians chapter 3, turn there if you're not there. Philippians chapter 3, his instruction is basically this. Have none of it. Put no confidence... In the flesh, he says. Remember that verse? Put no confidence in the flesh. This is exactly what he's talking about. We worship in spirit. We glory in Christ. In case you missed it, Paul goes on to show that he wasn't just a varsity Jew. He was like all pro, all world Jew. He basically said this. If you think you have any reason to think that good works gets you in good with God, I have more. That's what he says in this passage. You think you're righteous? I've got you beat. That's a pretty bold statement. And what he does is he lists his sort of resume in the flesh. And what I want you to catch is verse 7. After this resume, he says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, present tense, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Did you catch what all his good deeds, all his work past and present amount to? pile of garbage, a pile of manure. That's it. So as we talk about this driving point of going out and sharing, going out and loving, going out and serving, let it just be this undergirded truth, the foundational truth, that all of that in and of itself is garbage if it's not done in Christ. Your very life depends on not serving God if the following picture exists in your mind. 
You might want to jot these things. I've got four pictures that I think can sometimes come into our mind when we go enter into doing ministry or serving people. Or Do people still walk older ladies across the street? That was big when I was growing up. That was like the, I think that was the pinnacle of a good work for your day, was helping an old lady across the street. But whatever comes to your mind with this, I think if these four come to your mind, you're in danger of it. Uh, there were some people who were trying to learn this, the, the spiritual discipline of prayer, and they went on this retreat, and they were coming back for sort of check-in points, and there was a judge, that was his profession, and he came into kind of one of these follow-up meetings, and he said, I've prayed for 32 days straight. And this woman who was leading the, the, the retreat, sort of the, the, the follow-up check-in meeting, she pulled him aside and she said this. She said, tomorrow I want you not to pray. Stop praying. What was she getting at? What she was getting at is your soul is in danger. You're all proud that you've prayed for 32 days straight. You ought to stop. Because you're starting to fall into this performance trap of thinking somehow God's going to pay you or owe you or something. So her advice, strange as it sounds, for someone leading a retreat on the discipline of prayer is to say, stop praying. This is a tweetable moment. My pastor just told me, stop serving God. I, I want you to stop serving God if your soul is in danger. If your soul is in danger, then your continuing service, serving of God could lead to some bad places. Let me show what I mean. If you see yourself as an employee, stop serving God. God is not the boss who needs employees to get his business done. Do you see how much that belittles God? It belittles God because if we don't have a good performance review or we somehow hold the cards in, in whether God gets things done or not. Why is this life or death? Because it leaves no room for grace. You know what employees do? You know, your employees, you punch the clock and you get paid what you, what you worked for. There's no pardon involved in employees. There's just payment. And guess what that does? That leaves you outside the blessing of God which only comes by grace. To be outside of God's grace is to be unsaved, is to be somehow working for your salvation, much in the same way Paul did. And Paul said, man, I've been down that road. I've been higher than you, I promise. It's a dead end. So if you see yourself as an employee, stop working for God. Here's another one. If you see yourself as a bank customer, if there is any sense of the debtor's ethic, stop serving God. This can pop into our minds. Look at all that God has done for me. Look at all that God's done for me. Surely I can at least give 10%. And maybe not just of my money, but maybe I'll even donate 10% of my time. Maybe I'll donate 10% of my car or my stuff. If that's, if that's the, the thing going on in your mind, you're a bank customer. Don't do that. Surely I better pay God back. I better make up for my lack this week. Haven't we all been there? Man, I've had a cruddy week. I better really have a couple of good weeks. Surely that will balance out all the bad stuff. This is never how justice works, by the way. If you do something really bad, like run someone over with your car while, you, while you're drunk, you don't stand before the judge and go, I had a great month, judge. Awesome. I've been doing so much stuff. He's going to say, bravo. Now, Let's get back to your crime, right? 
So if you see yourself as a bank customer, realize you better stop going down that road. As you're trying to pay God off, guess what's happening? While you're traveling down that road, you're accumulating more and more and more debt. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus paid the debt. I could never, ever pay. Amen? That's great news. That's why we sing. That's why you see Christians tear up in a worship song. You're a good, good father. My debt just this week, I couldn't pay it off. And while I was trying to pay it off, I'd never, I'd never get out from under that. I'm a beloved son today. I'm a beloved daughter. That's who I am. Man, if you see yourself as a bank customer serving God, stop it. How about a partner? Now, if you have this bumper sticker, I apologize. But God is my co-pilot doesn't really quite cut it for what the Bible talks about. Now, when, when you enter into a new relationship with Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ, guess what? You do enter into a new relationship, but you haven't been promoted to partner. You're not partnering the firm. Uh, that indicates something totally different. Listen to Psalm 123.1. Uh, we should always be serving with an eye toward God as our master, not as our partner. It says, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord, our God, for His mercy. Catch this. Just as servants keep their eyes on their master, as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We're servants of you, God. We're not partners with you. Here's the last one. This is when, this one's going to take a blow to your ego. If you think you're needed, I think you ought to ponder, stop serving God for a moment. And look into what I'm about to say. We just sang this in this song, Hearts of Servants. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus came to serve and not be served. God doesn't need our generosity. Look at Acts 17. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. It's belittling to God. It's a misunderstanding of God to think that He actually needs us. Here's another one. God's not hungry. Psalm 50, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. If you're bringing sacrifices, don't do that because you think God's hungry. God's not broke. If you bring your money to the church to give it as an offering, don't do it because you think God's a, a panhandler. Or he's broke or he needs our cash. This is the one who spoke the very world into existence. Does God use us to be our hands and feet? Absolutely. Does he need us? Absolutely not. Christianity is fundamentally convalescence. Patients don't serve their doctors. They trust them for good prescriptions. But here's what's more. God is actually the nurse administering the medicine. And what's more, he's the medicine. God is all in all. We are the convalescents. We're the patients in this. We don't bring really anything to that equation, do we? God doesn't need our help with planning or figuring things out. His ways are higher than our ways. Which politician would ever rescue a nation in crisis by ordering a marching band around the enemy city? Right? Never. How about a drought crisis? Hey, take that stick and bang on that rock. Let's solve the drought crisis right here in San Jose. God dreams things up. Hey, how about the savior of the world being born out in the sticks where no one's ever heard of this podunk town? 
We would never dream up the ways, the solutions that God calls us into. Hey, little boy with a lunch, come here. Let's pray blessing over your lunch. There's a lot of people to feed. That's a small brown lunch bag. We would never dream these things up. God's ways are higher than ours. He doesn't need our planning. Do me a favor. Take your breath in and hold it. Now let it out together. Do you hear that sound? That sound is a sigh of relief. God, you don't need me today. I'm going to show up. We're going to talk about serving. But man, get it in your head that God doesn't need us to accomplish his will. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad, John Piper said. It is a help-available ad. So maybe you're sitting here going, wait a minute, this wasn't the message I thought I came to hear. I'm being told to stop serving God in a church. So what about all those passages that call Christians to good deeds, to walk in these good deeds we're created for, to, to serve one another just as Jesus served? How do I fulfill serving and giving and doing passages? Look at this image. I'm a visual learner, and so I like to learn this. I went back to a message we talked about priorities a long time ago. And this little image says a lot. Rest in the finished work so that you can strive at the good work. This is what I'm getting at this morning. Jot down Mark 16, 19. Mark 16, 19. Jesus is at the end of his ministry and it says this. So then the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Let me walk you through this. Jesus sitting down at the right hand of God is really significant. Why did he sit down? Because the job was done. Imagine a lawyer in a case, and he's been arguing for weeks and presenting his case to the judge and jury. And in his closing thing, he says all his stuff, and then he sits down. Sometimes sitting down is more than just sitting down. He's sitting down because he rests his case. You know, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is the one. We get heard in court because of Jesus. He's sitting down because because the work is done. Rest in the finished work. You know what that finished work is? That's some really good solid fitting to get a running start to leap into ministry. That footing, that solid footing that you want to come back to time and time and time again. It's so good to gather on Sunday mornings to come and just be reminded. God, you breathe the world into existence by a word. Why am I so stressed out? You don't need me. I'm not your employee. And that's a good place to come get centered to. But look at this. Rest in the finished work so that, so that is sort of this bridge. The finished work has an effect. It leads us to the good work. It is finished doesn't mean you are finished, Christian. It is finished means you just get going in a whole new direction. You and I are raised to newness of life. And that life has a meaning, a mission, an assignment. Look at how it affected the disciples. Mark chapter 16 verse 19 says that, that Jesus was taken away and he sat down at the right hand of God. Very next verse, verse 20 says this, and they went out and preached everywhere. Because Jesus went and sat down, the disciples went out and preached everywhere. 
And I love this line, while the Lord worked with them. (laughs) That's an understatement. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. That's a beautiful beautiful partnership. You're not a partner with God, but that's a beautiful partnership to see that. They got work. They went everywhere. They spread out. Rest in the finished work so that you can strive at the good work. The Lord worked with them. I worked with my five-year-olds this weekend to accomplish some errands. We were at Home Depot. My five-year-old Eli was driving the cart, and we were on the light bulb aisle. Put it together. Did I want to have him stop driving? Many, many times, yes. But guess what? He accomplished my will. He navigated that cart through Home Depot while I worked with him. My little daughter, Kaya, I got the best deal in town, that little orange bucket for $3.18. I was overjoyed. So we kept adding stuff to it, duct tape and some other things that were going. And she's dragging the little orange bucket around, and then finally she put it in the cart, and she's you know organizing it and whatnot. They accomplished my will, did they not? But I worked with them. Do you see the picture of how we work with God? We go out and we do, we do God's stuff. We're God's hands and feet. That's how he set it up. There's no one else to drive the cart. God doesn't come down and push the cart through Home Depot. But guess what? There's a lot of uh, steering help that goes on, right? There's a lot of assistance that goes on. This is how we help God. If it bums you out that you're not needed by God, let me, let me just kind of take your chin and lift your eyes for a moment. You're not needed by God, but catch this. You're wanted by God. You're chosen by God. You're invited into this. I had invited Kaya to come to Home Depot with me. It was going to be just one-on-one time. And Eli's face fell when he realized he wasn't going to get to go to Home Depot. So I said, Kaya, is it okay if Eli comes too? And she goes, yeah, absolutely. So he got, he got invited in to help as well. And they were my partners. They were my buddies. I didn't let them drive the car. But everything else, they got to, they got to help with and they were involved in it. Man, it, what, a, what a beautiful picture of service for Christians. We're accomplishing God's will because we've been invited in to participate. Okay, now it's time to start serving God. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 7. I hope you had your finger there. This is what we're going to read from. Now that we have that cleared up, start serving God. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Remember the last two weeks? Hey, church, get together. Hey, church, stay together. It's harder staying sometimes than the getting. By the way, right after service, right after second service at 1230, we have our, our membership class. Exploring membership. If you have even an inkling to understand what does membership mean here at Neighborhood Bible Church, 1230 to 230. Either fast through it or go get some lunch and bring it back and you can eat it while class is going on. Get together and stay together is this priority that we have to keep as a priority. This means opening up your homes to one another, not to impress one another, but to serve one another. This means RSVPing yes when someone invites you to do something. 
hey, a game night's going on. It may not be the most convenient time. I'm going to try to carve my schedule out to, re- to respond yes to this invitation from someone reaching out to me. So serving is being talked about, but it's not in a vacuum. I want you to see that this passage is showing us this picture that it's, that it's built around community. It's built around loving one another. L- look how he says it. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Hey, as you get out there and you're serving other people, don't neglect the home. Don't neglect your church family. It ought to emanate from those places. Your family ought to be thrilled that you're out participating in service. Why? Because you've been serving them a bunch, and it's just kind of bubbling up over that. I want to show you the play button here at Neighborhood Bible Church that we refer to quite often. I want you to see this because this captures some of what this verse is talking about. We enter into a relationship with God. That's worship. He brings us into a family. He doesn't leave us all alone. That's community. But worship and community have a point, right? It goes somewhere. We're to share that. Share the gospel. Share your life. Share your stuff. Share your love. So it's not that we just share or serve. You get any one of these out of balance, and you get a really weird, skewed church that doesn't represent the the Bible very well. So we're constantly looking to talk and and think through these different things. Look at verse 10. Here's the key to the morning. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then in verse 11, he goes on to just kind of give two examples, speaking gifts and serving gifts. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To each one, a gift's been given. Here's the instruction. Use it. Use it. Not to serve yourself. Not to serve your company so you'll make more money but to serve one another, to give it away. God's given to you so you can give it away. That's the essence of share. If you're a Christian, you're both a servant and a steward. We just saw that. You've been been called as a servant to serve one another, and you've been entrusted with gifts. This isn't the only place that we see this. Look at 1 Corinthians 4. It says, this is how one should regard us. If you're a Christian, here's how you should be regarded. As servants of Christ, there's that word servant, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You know what we have in these two passages? We have Peter and Paul, two of the largest figures in the early church, agreeing on this concept that, Christian, you are a servant. Christian, you are a steward. And when you pair those two ideas together, you get the essence of what we mean around here when we talk about Neighborhood Bible Church with the word share. That's what we're talking about. Share as a, serv- as a servant. Share as a steward of these things God has given to you. You were invited into this. Now let me just put your mind at ease. If you're going, this is a really hard lesson to learn. I feel like I need to keep learning this. I feel like I've been walking long enough. I should have this down by now. You're not alone. The disciples, two of them were brothers, and they had a mom who came, and essentially she was coming to jockey 
with, with Jesus for her boys to have some sweet positions in his cabinet. That's basically what was going on. Hey, I want to ask a little favor of you, Jesus. And what did she ask for? I want my sons, they're good boys, good boys. I want one on your left and I want one on your right. I want them to have positions of power. And it says the others were indignant. You think? You think? I mean, mom's coming to fight the battle and try to, try to weasel her sons above the rest. Do you see this sort of powder keg of conflict ready to just explode? The others were indignant. Jesus kind of calls a timeout. He kind of, he kind of calls them to himself. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 20, 24. You can just jot it down, look it up later. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. And then catch the instruction. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your, what's the word? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so much of the instruction of Jesus must have come flooding back after the cross, after the resurrection. Wow, he meant that literally. He died for us, and he's called us to do the same. Christian, you were saved to serve. You were made for this. Or more accurately, you're being remade to do this. You're recreated when you're reborn. You're being reformed into the image of Christ It's a process. It's called sanctification. It doesn't happen overnight. But you were created for good works that you would walk in them. Question is this. Do you know what they are? Do you know what those good works are? I think we throw that verse around. We know that God's created us for good works. But do you ever take the question the next step further? What are the good works God has called me, created me to walk in? And then the next question is, am I doing it? Hey, you were each entrusted with a gift. Use it. Put it into practice. Not as an employee, not to pay God back, and certainly not because God needs us, but simply for the love of God. You know how you show your love for God? You obey Him. You take Him at His word. And then we cooperate with the Spirit of Jesus that is forming us into servants after the manner of the Lord Jesus Himself. Let me turn you to one more place. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Steward, you were entrusted with the gospel, with the gift of life, with some stuff. Share. Because there's more than enough. Share because God's God's given it to you, not to, to build storage units and bigger barns, and save it up for a rainy day, give it away. You know, your generosity, the way you share, the way you live your life, actually says more about your theology than your stated or written down beliefs. Let me show you what I mean by that. Essentially, your theology leaks out from your life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus is telling a story. He says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants, there's that idea again, 
and entrust them with property. What's one who's entrusted with property? They're a steward. Do you see the servant steward? Just over and over through the scripture, start looking for that. He called his servants and he entrusted him his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another one. To each according to his ability, and then he went away. Do you see to each one a gift has been given? Okay. I won't take the time to read on. You can read the rest of it later on today. Many of you know the story. Two of them are commended for their action with their talents. The one who was given five and the one who was given two. When the master returns, they're commended for the simple fact that they had a good return on their investment. Here's the, here's the idea. They did something with, with what was entrusted to them. They were given property. They did something with it. They had a higher return. And what does the master do? He gives them stuff. He gives them even more. He says, that's all yours and here's more besides. The master says, do something with what you've been given. Let my wealth increase because you're on the job. Here's some stuff. Go work with it. The third one, the guy given only one, brings back the one talent he was initially given. What did he do with it? He dug a hole and he buried it. He was fearful. He was cautious. He was risk averse. And then the author of this story lets us in on what was going on inside the hearts and minds of each one. What was on display is that each servant was having their theology leak out by their actions. Two of them went and got a good return on what was entrusted to them. The third didn't. The third was stingy and scared. He thought of the master as a hard man. Remember that in the story? You can look it up later. And because of that, he acted accordingly. I better just hang on to what I have. This will not come naturally to us, church. It will not come naturally to give. It will actually go counter to what a lot of your instincts will be, which is to protect you and yours and your stuff and your time and your emotions. Neighborhood Bible Church has some theological distinctives, a few things that we wrote in to ensure that we as a church would stay focused on some things. We try to keep share on the front burner of our minds because we know that as churches go on over time, here's what happens. They slowly start to turn inward and serve the needs and cares and concerns of the members. Here's what we have written in a membership packet that we give to our members. Our church is committed to existing for the sake of those who aren't yet members of our church. The members will function biblically in building up, caring for, and encouraging the church so that the church can remain on mission, which is to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. The implications of this are numerous. Catering to the comfort of our members is not a priority. This is why some people leave our church, by the way. Catering to the comfort of our members is not a priority. Building a robust, attractional program calendar that meets the diverse needs of all the groups of people amongst us is not our goal. We will strive to keep sacrificing for those who may scorn, ridicule, or otherwise despise the cherished gospel that we preach. 
I've asked the band to lead us in a song. It's really uh, a song I just want to kind of let the lyrics wash over you and the music wash over you. What I want you to listen for is a little bit of, of Romans 6 and 7 and a little bit of 8 in there. But this concept of, man, if the way that I believe doesn't match the way that I live, let's get on it. Let's change things. The song's called Finally Breathing. If all I do is just survive, I'll miss this one and only life. I'll take the next step. I want to ask this question, kind of close our time with this. What does this look like for me? What does this look like right here at Neighborhood Bible Church? I've got a few thoughts. I've got a few kind of prods to spur us on. There are many families in this room who are kind of like mid-jump. Remember that ministry leap, right? They've, they're on solid footing. They're mid-leap. There's no happy landing yet assured of them. There's no promised great reward on this investment that they've, that they've put out there. But because they know the master, because they know the owner, it's not some uninformed, wishful thinking leap. It's a faith-rich, hope-confident leap. To say, God, you've given us some stuff. You've given us, you've planted ideas in our mind. You've put things on our heart. And truth be told, we've tried to get rid of them in the flesh. But you wouldn't let us go. And so there are families that have leaped. Many families in, in this room and in the next service, in a very tangible way, are doing this with foster care. This last week, we had, we had four of our families sitting in a class on a midweek night starting their 27 hours that the county requires for them to do foster care. And I was overjoyed to see this picture posted on Facebook from Foster the Bay that just said, man, praise God. And the call to prayer goes out to those of us who aren't sitting in that class, right? The call is to say, how can we come around them? Many other families are coming around these families, some formally signing up as support friends, saying, as long as you have this child in your home, we're committed to you. As you reach out and you stretch your umbrella to kind of share your resources to keep another kid from getting hit with junk, we're going to come and shield you. It's an amazing picture. I hope you don't miss what is going on in this little kind of corner of San Jose right now. There's some God work happening, and it's phenomenal. With that, let me say this. There are more formal support families needed here at Neighborhood Bible Church. Our desire is that each church would have one family that would raise up and do foster care. Our, our little church has had four of them. Our desire is that each family would have a support network of four support friends or families or couples that would be around them. We don't yet have enough support uh, families to, to step in and do that. So there's a need. That's a big ask. But we have a big God, so I don't mind asking it. There's a new ministry that started up, and it's been started up by someone who is chronically ill, who in the midst of her chronic illness is trying to reach out to and serve and love those who are also chronically ill. It's a ministry called Graceful Fight. Some of you know Linda Morales. I've been texting back and forth with her, and I said, I don't want to burden you with a bunch of inquiries if you're not ready, but can I make mention of it? She said, please do. 
Linda's on the city, and if you want more information, you can come talk to me. I'll kind of point in the right direction. Linda's not here right now because she's too sick to be here. In the midst of her pain, she's reaching out to many in our city, many in our zip code who are living with chronic illness. We went and visited one person this week, and she said, part of the frustration is I don't look all that sick. People don't get it. People don't get how sick I am right now. She said, when I park in the handicap spot, I almost feel like I should limp in. So, so people won't think that I'm, you know, you know, bucking the system or, or trying to use it or something. Graceful Fight is a ministry with Linda Morales. Let me keep going for a couple. We have a, a team that meets every single month called the Go Team. It's the global outreach team. They are utterly committed and focused on supporting those who have left the comfort of this place, several from our church, who are now living in Africa and raising their family. Why? For the sake of sharing. I spoke with Josh Barrow this morning. Josh is up in San Francisco in the Tenderloin District this morning. Josh, what are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm walking to church up in the Tenderloin. The GO team is committed to being a support network and a support system for those who are serving around the globe. Every time you go to community group, you have community group leaders who are sharing serving. They are attending extra meetings. They are investing themselves in prayer. They are investing themselves in prep work so that they can serve you in community group. Every time you drop your kids off, there are people serving and sacrificing to make that happen. Uh, This morning, Ben and a team of people left. Why? To invest in our middle schoolers. Our third service Spanish group now has a, a youth group forming. They'll be meeting today. Why? Because there are people who've come alongside and said, man, I want to be a servant. Some do it because they had great youth workers when they were growing up. Others said, I, I, I would have longed to have someone just pour into me and believe in me and encourage me who wasn't my peers and wasn't my parents. Huge need for that to go on. If you look around this place, you see coffee there you see sets built for our sermons you see design and decoration you see a clean building relatively clean as clean as we can get with all these kids around right you see front offices you see media happening right now this sermon's being recorded for our podcast all these things take servants who just sacrificially make what goes on here at neighborhood go on there are all kinds of ways to get in and serve just around here every week there's a setup and teardown crew that happens. You may be asking this, how do I get involved? When are you guys going to have a ministry fair or something? Let me tell you, every single week we have a ministry fair, okay? It's old school. It's right here. It's this card. If you pull it out on the back, you will look and you'll see this little gray box and it says this, I'd like to serve by, and that colon means the ball's in your court. That colon's an invitation to say, I'd like to serve by. You might write something. We have no ministry whatsoever going on about that. And someone from the church will call you and go, tell me more about that. Why is that on your heart? Oh, you're chronically ill and you've been meeting a lot of other people who don't, who don't fit into the general population and sort of the needs and how we structure things. I want to hear more about that. Let's talk. Let's get together. Let's figure that out. So every single week, you have a card that you can communicate with the church staff. Here's where it gets even better. We live in the Silicon Valley. There's this thing called the World Wide Web. Every single moment of every single day, you have an opportunity to go onto our website, and at the top of every page on our website, no matter which page you're on, is a little word called share. 
After this morning, you can't plead ignorance to what we talk about when we mean share. Click on share, and it just says, it just says how we share in our church. You click on, on our church, it provides all these ministries, how you get connected with people. How do we share in our neighborhood? You click on that link, and it links you up. How do we share in Mexico? How do we share in our world? Man, it's just it's there. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's there for us to, to use and to make connections. Our job as staff, not to rush out and do all the ministry, our job's a little bit, I'm a glorified operator. I really am. I get a, I get a light that lights up over here. Hey, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of excited about something over here. Something in the sermon last week spurred me on to this way. And I see that light, and I go, oh, you know what? I've talked to two other people in the last week that are saying the same thing. Here's their number, here's their number, email, boom. Now you guys, you, you guys get to work on it. Do you know this is how much of the ministry happens here at Neighborhood Bible Church? You know who's the best seat in the house? Me and Ben. Me and Ben. We get to see this stuff all the time. It's unbelievable. So church, activate if you're not already activated. And keep at it if you are. Uh, most of our stuff is, is fairly informal and, and unorganized. We do organize some, some different things periodically, but we have one coming up uh, April 16th and 17th called Beautiful Day. Beautiful Day is something that was birthed out of a church over in West San Jose. There are going to be more than 20 projects all around the city on this weekend. All day Saturday, all day Sunday. And here's our desire as church leadership. We would love, we're going to still have services on April 17th, but we would love if we had a sparsely populated worship service at this location because our church service moved into a lot of different places. Why? Because we spread out. So we we decided to link arms with other people and get serving on these different projects that are going on. And on that Sunday in particular, man, we're gonna we're gonna make a point of worshiping with our hands. Some of you are very skilled with some things. Some of you just are good hard workers. Some of you need some blisters in your life. So go grab a rake, go jump in on this. This website, by the way, is where you can sign up for it. We're not gonna try to over-organize this. They do a great job of that. But we are trying to give you the message, hey, you have freedom to go out and do this. Let me bring you back to manure for one more point. Manure isn't very flattering, but it sure takes the pressure off, doesn't it? I mean, literally just showing up and interacting with the world causes this sort of magic to happen. I mean, when you plant a strawberry seed, there's magic going on underneath the soil that you can't even see for a long period of time. Serving people is just like that. There's this sort of magic that goes on. We can't even really understand or explain it all. Jesus used a couple of more uh, illustrations like this. Salt and light have that same function. Just show up. Just spread out and show up, and things begin to happen. That's the picture for us, church. Let me pray. God, thank you that you sovereignly have placed us in all of the nooks and crannies that we find ourselves in. God, the place that we sit in our office, the street we live on, the family that we've been born or adopted into, God, you've put us there. You're the one in control of this. Help us as your agents just to show up, God. Just to show up and start serving and loving and have eyes to see in the way that you've taught us.